And I believe the key will unlock a door for you in your life that could really set you free. Okay? And I really believe, who wants to really get free? I'm talking about inside you. I'm not talking about outside you because, as I said last week, you can be free acting on the outside but be in bondage on the inside. And I don't know about you, but I'm sort of tired of that. I'm tired of pursuing things outwardly that seem to look to be free, yet I'm not free in me. And I want to get free inside me. And, you know, you can do things that look free but and not be free, but you could do the same things and be real free. Or you could be doing something that looked like you was in bondage, but on the inside you could be totally free. And the Lord wants to set people free. That's what he said he came to this earth for, to set the captives free. And I believe as Christians, we're in bondage in lots of ways in different things. And the Lord just wants to, to free us. Amen? He wants to free us. And, it, yeah, we long for freedom. We long for freedom. So I want to just share this key this morning, beginning of it. Woo, Lord, help me. That feels good. I, you know, some people don't feel the Lord. I feel the Lord. About, you know, I love to feel the Lord, but I'll tell you, even if I don't feel Him, um, He's real. Right? Uh, yeah, amen. The Lord, Lord, you're worthy. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're the center. And Lord, we just want to tell you this morning um, that we have drifted from you. And we're sorry. But we want to come back to Jesus. And we want to hold you. And we want you to hold us and touch us. And we really want to live our life with you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Turn in your Bible to Ezekiel 44. And I want to read a few verses. <clears throat> okay. Lord, thank you, Lord. The Lord is so good at me. He is really good. And then after we get through, Matthew can give announcements. That sounds exciting. <laughs> I think the Lord really wants to bring himself near to us. This, yes, amen. Let the word of God be real. Okay, in Ezekiel 44, it's talking about laws governing priests. This part I'm going to read to you. And I just want to, a lot of this is old, this is old revelation right here, but this is excellent, excellent revelation. And I'm just going to read a little bit of it. In verse 16, it says, They shall enter my sanctuary... And they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Talking about the priest. That's what they're going to do. What does Peter tell us? I think in First Peter. What does he tell us we are? A royal priesthood. Okay? That's what the Bible in the New Testament says. Every believer is a royal priesthood. We are priests, all of us. So this is the Old Testament speaking to us. So it's not just about some guys back then. And it applies to us. Amen? And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen gar garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. That's the house of the Lord. And that inner court is the, you know, the Holy of Holies. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. Everybody say sweat. Um, so the Lord... 
was prophetically speaking that he did not want the priest uh, sweating in his presence. You know, because he doesn't like sweat. And, you know, of course, sweat speaks of self-effort. That's what it really speaks of. It speaks of our own self-effort. And so in the Old Testament, the Lord was trying to speak to us today about our self-effort. And He wants to set us free from self-effort. He wants to set us free from self-effort. And I would like to say to you today, whatever you do outside the Lord, I don't care if it looks wonderful and it appears to be successful, it is wood, hay, and stubble. It is wood, hay, and stubble. Um, because anything we do that's not in the Lord is truly not something that we need to be involved in. It truly is not. Yet we live our lives as Christians, I believe, toiling and, and sweating away. Turn to Genesis 3. Let me read that to you. Go all the way back. Um, Genesis, Genesis 3. I feel like God wants to change us. I really do. I feel like God wants to make us different than what we really are. I feel like He wants to... I feel like He wants to just change the fabric of our being. I really feel this. I feel like He wants to change the fabric of our being and change how we see things and how we approach things and how we feel about things. I mean, it's just... It's really something strong, I feel like the Lord's saying to me. And, of course, this is real personal too but in Genesis 3 verse 17 this is after of course they they failed and you know ate from the tree uh, and, and the Lord was uh, telling them this is what's going to happen to you now uh, in verse 17 it says then he said then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I command you say and you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake in toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Everybody say toil. toil. So you see toil, meaning oil. <laughs> toil and oil. There's a little difference between the two. But Actually, here's what the difference is. Oil is good, but when you add that T to oil, it becomes bad. And that T stands for our self-effort. Okay? God can pour His oil into your life, but when we add our flesh efforts to what He has already done... It is absolutely worthless. Yet, so here's the here's the scripture talking. About. It's, he said this is part of the curse. He man is cursed for to toil. That's you know that's what that's what why he doesn't like toil. And then in verse 19, it says in the sweat. Everybody say sweat. And swear your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So you can see the Lord later on in Ezekiel was saying, do not come near me with sweat, because sweat is part of the curse. And the Lord will not have part of the curse near him. You hear what I'm saying to you? He will not have fleshly efforts of man near him. Now turn over to Luke 22. Are you all following me? Luke 22. And this is really good, Luke 22. Going all the way, we're jumping from the middle to the beginning to, to, the, to the good Gospels. Luke 22, this is when Jesus was in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, you know, just in agony uh, because 
not because he was going to be beaten and, and, and mocked and even hung on the cross. He was in agony because he was going to be separated from the Father. That's why he was really in agony. Because, you know, lots of people have been beaten and went to their, you know, went to their destruction with a smile on their face. You know what I'm saying? So anybody can do that, you know. Um, but Jesus wasn't worried about that. wasn't his, his thing. He was in agony, it said, but he was in agony because he was fixing to experience something he had never experienced before, his absolute separation from God. But this is really good in verse 44, and it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat, everybody say sweat. So you see, Jesus is sweating. Here's the Son of God sweating. Okay? Um, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, a sweat turned into blood. And I felt like the Lord was saying in the garden when he sweated, he was sweating for every one of us. For every man, every woman, every child, he was there in that garden sweating for us. And then he sweated so much that his sweat turned to blood and the blood washed away the sweat. You hear what I'm saying to you? So, you see, the, the sweat was a part of the curse, and man has labored up under the curse all those years until, until Jesus came at that moment in the garden when He began to sweat for us. He has sweated for you and I. Therefore, we are never to sweat again. Now, I'm not talking about physical sweat, because if you get out and dig ditches in the hot sun, you're going to physically sweat. I'm talking about spiritual sweat. I'm talking about self-effort in the Lord. Whether, no matter what it is, I'm not talking about just serving God, you know, praying or preaching or laying hands on people or doing anything. I'm talking about whatever you do in your life, spiritually speaking, God has sweated for you. And He's washed that sweat away with His blood. That's part of the redemptive promise of God is that we do not have to toil. We do not have to put forth self-effort to serve God. As a matter of fact, when we do, the Lord is repulsed by it. He's not repulsed by me and you, but He's repulsed by our self-effort. Because it is wood, hay, and stubble, and it won't last. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And God wants to set people free. He wants to set us free from this. I mean, to be really free where we don't have to serve the Lord with great effort and great toil in our life trying to do what we believe God's called us to do. Now, does that, that to me is exciting. Yeah. It should be exciting to all of us. That's a key right there is that God, we can put it in the door and we can walk through the door and spiritually we can live a life of ease and rest. And that is really what God has called us. That doesn't mean you're not going to work hard. That doesn't mean you're going to have difficulty. No, all those things are going to happen. But we don't have to sweat over them. We don't have to put forth our energy into it and our effort and wear ourselves out trying to serve God and trying to please God and trying to make everything work out in our lives the way it's supposed to be. That's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. And the Lord has said, don't let the priest come near me sweating. That's what He said in Ezekiel. I don't want you to sweat around me. And then Jesus came in here and said this, listen, you know, I know you're going to do that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sweat for you. And we can make that divine exchange with the Lord. We can come to Him and say, Lord, I believe You've already sweated it out. I believe you already put all the effort in for me. And so I'm going to give you all my self-effort. I'm going to give you my self-effort. 
Will you give me your grace? That's, that's an exchange. That's a tremendous exchange. Are y'all getting this? Uh, that's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 27, consider the lilies. I think we need to start considering the lilies. I think everybody in this room needs to consider the lilies. It goes on and says, how they grow. You want to grow spiritually. Probably most people in this room really have a sincere desire to grow spiritually. Well, he's, Jesus said, hey, think about lilies. How do they grow? They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Yet when you look around the body of Christ today, I don't, I don't find this. I don't find this attitude. I don't find this attitude in the church. I don't find this attitude in most Christians' hearts. I see a lot of Christians wearing themselves out trying to serve the Lord, trying to do wonderful things and good things. And what it does, let me just say this to you. This is what all that will do. Trying to serve the Lord in your own effort is gratifying over the short term. It really is because it makes you feel like you have a purpose. It makes you feel like you're pleasing God. That's why it makes you feel short in the short term. But over the long haul, it will burn you out. That's what it will do to you. It will burn you out and there will be no lasting fruit in your life. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? So be careful about those self-efforts that you're doing that feel so gratifying to you, that make you feel like you're important to God and God's happy with you because you're working so hard for Him. And, you know, I'm working hard at reading the Bible. I'm working hard at praying. I'm working hard at paying my tithes. I'm working hard at going to church. I'm working hard at raising my children. I'm working hard at being a good Christian man or woman. I'm working hard at these things. feels good for a while, but it will burn you out. And over the long haul, there will be no real fruit in your life. And that's the truth. And that's what we're ate up with in the church. We're ate up with that. We're consumed by it. We want a purpose. Oh, God, give me a purpose. I'll go do something. Going out on our own. And the purpose is deceptive. It's a deceptive purpose. And what the Lord wants to do is give everybody a real purpose. God wants to really fulfill you. Because there is nothing, you know, like somebody said one time, there's nothing as stale as a stale donut. You've heard that saying, you know. But there's nothing as unfulfilling as trying to serve God and come to the end of, end of the rope. And you realize it was me. It wasn't him. That is a very discouraging and disappointing place to be. And I would like to say to you, I believe the church is full of people like that. I believe that's why lots, lots of us are not real zealous for God in a righteous way. It's because we have been going around trying to do it on our own. Um, turn over to... Um, well, let's just, let me just read that thing in Luke 5 since we're close to that. Can you... Turn back to Luke 5. Remember I read that to you last week um, about the fishing expedition that Peter went on with Jesus. <clears throat> Y'all remember that? Luke, Luke 5. Well, let me just say this. Let me just read it to you again. Luke 5, verse 1. So, so it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood on the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. 
And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have what? We have toiled all night. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's the state of a lot of you in this room. You've toiled all night, and you have lived in a night season of your life. So, you know, it's the truth. And caught nothing. Caught, let me tell you, what has it done for you? Nothing. Because the fruit that you thought you have fell to the ground, and then it wasn't real fruit. It was false fruit. All your efforts, all your praying, all your Bible reading, all those things you did apart from His grace and apart from His power, they did you no good. And that's the place that Peter was in a very natural sense. We've worked our hineys off all night, Jesus, and you're telling me to throw this thinking net on the other side of the boat? And that's what happens to you. That's the end of this thing, okay? That's the end of this toiling. Jesus, I have done all these things you've asked me to do, and look what has happened. Nothing. And you get discouraged, and you get disgusted, and you get lukewarm. That's the end of it. I don't want to do it no more. It didn't work. How many of you have said that to the Lord? Tell the truth. How many have said, I've done this for you, God, it didn't work? I've said it to the Lord. I've said, I did all these things for you, God, and it didn't work. Where were you? Why didn't you meet me? And the Lord says, because I didn't ask you to do those things for me, Byron. I've never asked you to do anything for me. God doesn't ask us to do stuff for Him. He asks us to do stuff with Him. There's a big difference. There's a huge difference. And what He's tried to get through my thick-headed carcass is, man, I am not interested in what you can do for me. I am not interested in it. I'm not interested in any devotion that you have. But I am interested in you. And I'm interested in being with you and you being with me. That's what I'm interested in. And if you'll do that, then we can do some stuff. And we can enjoy it while we're doing it. Yeah, we might get tired. We may, you know, come home at night feeling wore out. But we're going to enjoy it. And we're going to see some real fruit out of this deal. And God, that's what God's looking for. But Peter answered and said to him, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, 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 at your word, I will let down the net. And when they've done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Their net was breaking. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is how it happens with the Lord. He will absolutely humiliate you like this. You can go try to do something, try to do something, try to do something, and it not work. I mean, give it your best shot. And again, somebody else can walk behind, right behind you, and it just works. And you wonder, what's the difference? I did exactly what they did. I preached Billy Graham's message, and not one person got saved. I spent hours memorizing that message. I have never preached one of Billy Graham's messages. I wish I could preach his message. I can't because I'm Byron Wicker. I'm going to let Billy preach his messages. I'm just going to enjoy them. You hear what I'm saying to you? God wants to make us successful. He really does. Now, turn over to Acts 20. Are you all with me? Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I want for us. Okay? This is what I want for me. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for this church. 
And I believe God wants it for us. I believe God wants to change us. I, be, I really believe this with all my heart. He wants to change who we are. He wants to change the personality of me. He wants to change the personality of this church. And I believe if... This is what I can say to you. I believe in one year we can be a whole different church. In one year. A completely different church. A church that is full of God's grace. I mean full of His grace. And we don't have to try to figure out how to get free when we're full of His grace, because we are free. And it doesn't matter what we're doing, we're free when we're full of God's grace. I believe God wants to revolutionize this church. I believe He wants to revolutionize my life. I'm, I am convinced of this. I am so convinced of this that I would be willing to bet my house on it if I was a gambling man. And that's all I've really got of any value is the house. And that's not a lot worth I mean, it's worth something, but the bank would get most of it. But do you hear what I'm saying to you? I feel like God has just been really speaking to me about all this so much. It's incredible. And, and the whole thing is, is God is saying, you, you know, you've missed something in your life. You've missed something. You've missed something. And, and Acts 20, let me read verse 24 to you. This is Paul, again, testifying to the Ephesian elders. A while back, I feel like the Lord kept bothering me about foundations. It's like, why do I keep seeing a foundation of a house? You know what they look like, foundation. If you've ever been under a house, you know what they look like. I don't like to get under there because there's spiders and snakes under there. I'm telling you, they are. But I feel like the Lord kept saying to me, you need to go back and examine the foundation. You know what I'm saying? Now, let me explain that to you in just a minute. You know, if a house's foundation's messed up, you've got to fix that thing or that house will be ruined. You know, it'll start sinking. You know, it'll just sink on down. You could have a beautiful house built on a bad foundation. And it looks beautiful from the outside. But one of these days, it ain't going to look good. You know, half that house is going to be sagging. Um, but none of these things move me do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. This is Paul's ministry that God gave him to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's ministry, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And I told you last week, and I'm going to tell you this week, this is revolutionary stuff. This is not... Sissy stuff. Excuse me, women. You know, guys think about sissies. This ain't stuff for wimps. This is stuff that's radical. I don't, none of the stuff we've done in this church or any church I've ever been in is radical. None of that stuff's radical. Painting a picture is not radical. If you think that's radical, wait till we really find out about the gospel of grace. That's radical. Because that will rip things down. That will rip religion down. That will rip everything the world can throw at it apart. There's nothing can stand in front of this force. And I'm telling you, that's where I feel like we've went wrong. We have perverted the gospel. As far as I'm concerned, we've preached another gospel. Not that we've, we've preached the gospel of salvation by the blood of Jesus. We believe that. But somehow or another, we have gotten away from what, what Jesus taught. Jesus was a radical man, wasn't He? Didn't He revolutionize the world? Did not Paul carry that 
message on? Did he not do that? And, and did not Peter carry it on? And John carry it on? And James carry it on? Did they all, not all? Were they all just a bunch of lukewarm, dead Christians that did not affect the world? I told you last week, our government is happy for us to stay in here and shout and have a great time because we are no threat to them. We are no threat to any government. And we should be, honestly. We should be a threat. And that's why just marching on abortion clinics is really no big deal. It's no threat. But if you marched on an abortion clinic with the gospel of grace really moving in that, then I promise you, it'll, you know, it'll be some bloodshed. There'll be martyrs will be lined up around the corner. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? We've got to get back to the, to the gospel of grace. We've got to get back to this thing. We really do. And it's not what we've made it. We've made it something it's not. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced in my heart this thing that we preach that doesn't seem to change us cannot be the thing that they preached. It cannot be the thing that they live by. Why am I free on the inside, Lord? Why am I in bondage on the inside? If the gospel is so powerful, why do I not feel free? I mean, I was telling the Lord, Lord, I have been in bondage all my life, even as a Christian. I want to be free. I want to be free to live my life and enjoy the pleasures that God has placed on this earth for me. And I don't. It's because I'm in bondage. And you're in bondage, probably. I won't exactly say you are. Probably are. Let's look at verse 32. Jumping down to the end, this is what he says. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his what? That's what Paul left these guys. He just said, listen, right before that, I'm not going to read it. He just said, listen, y'all got trouble coming. You got ravenous wolves that are going to come in and chew your hide up. You got people from the inside that's going to rise up and try to cause division. You know, you got, you got problems. And I'm leaving. Hasta luego. Goodbye. I'm gone. That was what Paul was telling these guys. I'm through. I'm through. I'm moving on and doing something else. But I'm going to leave you with something that's able to do something better than I can ever do. I'm going to leave you with God first and the word of His grace. Now, that's what Paul left with the Ephesian church. It's, that'll take care of you. That will give you an inheritance. That will rebuild the things when the enemy shoots a cannon at your wall and knocks a couple of bricks out. That will put those bricks back in. Are you with me? Now, we, what we've got to get is a revelation on this thing. We've got to get a revelation. Who feels like they have a revelation on grace? Man, that's good. See, some people are having it. You've got to get this thing. I mean, man, I want, to work this. I want this thing to be worked all the way through me. I want it to be worked all the way through this church. You hear what I'm saying to you? It says it's able to give you an inheritance. You see, God, Jesus' word of grace enabled Peter to become fruitful when he was failing. He couldn't catch no fish, right? But at your word, I will let the net down. You, you understand that? At your word. And when he, at Jesus' word, when he threw the net down, all of a sudden he was the most popular fisherman in town. But before Jesus' word, he was, he was a total failure. I mean, he had so, many, so much fish, he was having to get people to help him. 
And that's really what grace will do for us. See, grace will make you very successful. Okay? I mean, if you're fishing, you just might catch a bunch of fish that day because of grace. Now, I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. Are y'all with me? And this is sort of the the overview I'm giving you this morning. This is not the specific details. This is the part. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to envision you. I'm trying to give you a glimpse of something that I believe is, is in the Bible that God wants to give us. And by God's mercy and grace, I want us to really understand what grace really is, you know, down the next few months and by the next year at this time, we'll be just, we'll be cutting the rug, man. We will be, you know, we will be people of grace. We will be radical people. We will be people who really are have the grace of God operating in our lives and operating in our church. And what, what we're doing, we're doing it by grace. We're not doing it by our own, own effort. And God will be with us and blessing and, you know, confirming it. You know, there'll be miracles and signs and wonders. That's what grace will do for us. But 1 Corinthians 15, this is powerful, powerful. Verse 9, this is what Paul said. This is, this is a great scripture. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecute the church of God. But, but, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am, but by the grace of God. Now, just hang on to that one just for a second. I'll come back to that because I love that one. He said this, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. You know, he's got this revelation of grace. Grace is operating in him. But I labored more abundantly than they all. So here's a thought. Boy, I thought, man, I have got this great teaching now. I've got this word toil, which means to labor with wearisome effort over there in Luke. And I've got this word labor here. I know there are two different words. All right, you know, I know there are two different words in the Greek. So I look them up, and my teaching gets smacked to the floor. Because guess what? They are the same word. The same word that Peter said, we toiled all night and didn't catch nothing. Here's Paul saying, but I've toiled more abundantly than they all. He was saying, I have labored with wearisome effort more than everybody. Thinking, what kind of teaching is this? What does that have to do with grace, Lord? We know that's not, can't be. But then, this is what the Lord was saying, but of course, but of course.